Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters and Century Hardware, your source for outdoor gear in interior Alaska. It's a locally owned, longtime Fairbanks business that I've shopped at since I was a kid, and they've always done a great job of carrying a wide variety of quality, proven gear that'll tackle whatever Alaskan tasks you need it to. Frontier Outfitters always stays current with gear for the season, and whether you're bear baiting in the spring, fishing or dip netting in the summer, looking for game bags and gears for moose camp in the fall, or need to stock up on trapping lures, get a new spud bar, or just need some bait for your winter burbot sets, they've got you covered. They always carry a wide variety of Alaskan-proven clothing and boots, camping gear, meat processing supplies, lots of guns, ammo, reloading and shooting supplies, as well as gun safes. Downstairs in Century Hardware, you'll find your snow machine and ATV accessories like sleds and hitch pins, gun boots, hot grips, as well as a full selection of marine and boating parts and accessories. They really go out of their way to stock quality, useful equipment, and it's truly one of those great hometown sporting goods and hardware stores that every town needs to have. Whether you're gearing up for a hunting or fishing trip, working on that never-ending home improvement project, or you just need to rehandle an axe, it's usually a one-stop shop. Frontier Outfitters is located on 3rd and Old Steese in Fairbanks, and they have a second location out in North Pole, so make sure you stop in there and tell them you heard about it on Tundra Talk. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Real Estate, a local brokerage that can cover your real estate needs in the Fairbanks area, whether it's residential, commercial, or just undeveloped property. The Hedgecocks have been active in the Fairbanks and North Pole real estate market since the early 80s and have put together a team that really reflects the diverse needs of homebuyers in interior Alaska. With a brokerage team made up of multi-generation Fairbanks locals, transplants, and military veterans, they really understand the unique aspects of living in the interior and what that means when it comes to shopping for a home in general, buying land to build a home, and they also understand the situations that many military members are in when needing to buy or sell a home in Fairbanks. This is really a unique place to live, and whether it's learning why some houses have water-holding tanks instead of wells, how much it'll cost to heat a given house, or just what recreational opportunities are close by, they're here to help you. More than simply acquiring or building a piece of property, they can help you find the right property in the right place and help you learn from their experience. The Hedgecock Group offices are on Noble Street in Fairbanks, and if you want to get in touch with them, visit www.fairbanksakhomes.com. That's how you do it. Welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel. Now, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm going solo this evening. And uh, before I get going, I did want to take just a second to thank all our Patreon supporters. Um, I certainly appreciate anyone who wants to listen to the podcast and finds it entertaining, but uh, just want a, a special thanks for those of you who, who are able to kick in a few bucks a month to help cover costs and and uh, and contribute to the beer fund. It's certainly very, very much appreciated and uh, and just wanted to say thank you. And if you if you feel like being one of those Patreon contributors, you can do that at uh, patreon.com slash tundertalk. Now, um, what I was going to discuss this evening, or I guess talking to myself, um, is a question a listener had had kind of made this inquiry. I put I put a picture from my very first sheep hunt up on Instagram or something like that, and uh, they were thinking it might be a cool idea to compare what gear I was using in 
2004 when I started cheap on compared to what I use now and if there's anything I still use. So it really kind of got me thinking and frankly, I have no idea. I mean, some shit, I can't remember what happened 10 minutes ago and some of this stuff, I mean, it's been so many years that I just don't remember, but I was able to come up with quite a few like pretty specific things that I remember bringing, um, and, uh, you know, stuff that worked, stuff that didn't. And, uh, you know, I was frankly kind of surprised to see how far things have come. So, you know, I spent about a week kind of rolling it over my brain, checking off different different things as, as they came up, um, different gear items that I used and wrote them down. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to end up going through basically everything I could remember that I brought. Excuse me basically everything that I remember bringing and then, you know, as I'm going through that, compare it to the equivalent or gear that I'm using today or, you know, currently. And, uh, so yeah. And I, I pretty much just wrote it out. I I wrote it out, you know, starting with clothing and then, uh, camp gear and food and then hunting gear itself. So, um, yeah, hopefully I get, I got everything important. Uh, there definitely has been some major, major changes. I honestly, I don't, there's almost nothing that I brought that first trip that I, that I still use to this day. Um, and it's been, you know, I frankly went into it knowing nothing. Um, just, I had, was, had just graduated high school and decided I was going to go sheep hunting the next year and, you know, borrow a little bit of gear and saved and, and got what I could. And, uh, and got a kick in the right direction and went and, you know, worked hard, but lucked out and, and ended up getting one. And that was the long, the long spiral down the sheep hunting sickness or the beginning of it, I should say. All right. So, um, I'll start with clothing and part of, I guess, you know, part of, I've talked to my about my background and, and stuff too. You'll notice a lot of this stuff comes from, <laughs> it's from Cabela's and, you know, I grew, I growing up, grew up in Southern Colorado, didn't, we didn't have much money, but Cabela's was like the one sort, there wasn't even really any good sporting goods around where I lived. And I mean, Cabela's was like the Bible. I mean, that was like where you got all your hunting stuff. And I would just flip through Cabela's from a very young age through the catalogs. And, uh, so yeah, and even after I came up here, you know, there was places like, like uh, Century Hard, where you could get some good hunting stuff from, but I mean, it was before any of the the you know Sportsman's Warehouse or any of those like hunting big hunting gear stores were really up in Fairbanks. So you know, I just kind of that's that's why I went with Cabela's. So um, anyway, I'll get rolling into it, and uh, yeah, hopefully don't get hopefully you can you can hang with me, and if if you if you have to kick it to the next episode, that's totally fine too. So. Uh, clothing for, and I, from the top for from the bottom up. Uh, I I believe I took like a heavy heavy wool blend socks with me on that trip. Um, you know I, I didn't know what I was getting into, and they seemed like uh, well the thing to get hiking socks. You know non cotton. Um, and I I think they were, you know what I think they were the Cabela's like Ultimax. Socks because I remember now, now gets gets the wheels turning. I remember ordering them. They were those Cabela's Ultimax socks, and I even had some of those socks up until a couple years ago. And 
used them for a lot of stuff and they lasted a long time, but finally just getting, getting way too threadbare. Um, uh, and they worked all right for me at the time, but I found with any kind of heavier sock, and as I learned more about sheep hunting, much sheep hunting more and more and more, um, my feet get hot and sweaty as shit. And any kind of like heavy wool sock, I mean, I just had swamp foot the whole entire trip. And, you know, you take them out, try to, they, they take, even though they're, they're like a blend or even synthetic socks, they just get, I don't know, they're, they're, they take a little bit longer to dry out, and they're all the crustier and just dank. I mean, just nasty. And uh, I can't remember what year it was that I or when I kind of switched over to using very thin socks. And I think the ones I I've been wearing for years, and it's all I use them for, um, are like Under Armour Heat Gear, like extremely thin synthetic socks, and. I mean, my feet still get hot, but uh, but those socks don't, they, they're just simply not enough material there to hold any moisture in the first place, and I, I, they're very good on blisters for me. I rarely get blisters in them. Uh, they, of course, dry out instantly, and they don't take up as much room, and, you know, if you got to take them off and dry, and dry them out, they don't, like, stand up by themselves, so that's kind of what I've gone to there. As far as boots, um, I was really, uh, I got distracted there for a second. As far as boots, I was, I was, you know, I mean, just starting from square one. I didn't even have any hunting boots at the time. So, and this is another one. Don't like ask me why I remember this, but I wore, I, their Cabela's Iron Ridge, I think was the name of them, hunting boots. They were just a, uh, full leather lace-up boot with a pretty, like, you know, aggressive lugged sole, just a generic kind of heavy-ass, almost like combat boot-looking hunting boot. And uh, I, the whole, the summer before my first sheep hunt, you know, I was I was working and every week I'd order another piece of gear or something, basically what I could afford, making 11 or $12 an hour or whatever it was, Um I'd or, you know, order another piece of gear, and those boots I think were about eighty bucks, and uh, they ended up working okay for me. I mean, they were, especially with the socks, they were hot. They weren't, yeah, they just weren't what the boots I'm wearing now are. Um, much more flexible, just kind of a generic hunting boot. They were insulated, um, which in my any boots that I typically wear sheep hunting now, um, I like minimal or no insulation. You know, anything over like four or 500 gram, just the insulation is just stuff to soak up moisture and, and my feet get hot regardless. So I'd rather go with no or very minimal insulation. Um, I have been wearing Loa boots for quite a few years now. Uh, there's a lot of other great, great sheep hunting boots out there. Um, I talked about the, I think the ones I wore this year were the Alpine SL GTXs, kind of a lightweight synthetic boot. And I, kind of already went over the in a previous episode the had one of the soles start to kind of delaminate on me and had to limp through the trip um aside from that they would have been okay but they are a little bit on the light and less protective side for a sheep hunting boot um i really like their the ones i used last year were the alpine expert um gtx's and they're a little bit more of a rigid a rigid boot and i was really happy with them i just wanted to try out these new ones this year to see see what the deal was. Uh, 
Um, I think uh, for pants, I just used some like old, actually like tiger stripe camo, army uh, army surplus cotton cotton jungle pants or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean you'll see as you know down the next a couple a couple items ahead i i had way too much cotton i should you know i don't try not to take any cotton with me nowadays and having cotton pants was a mistake that i could have paid dearly for um but fortunately you know the weather the way the weather worked out for us i never wasn't too much of an issue but it goes without saying don't take cotton pants um they're just gonna it's like you might as well well might as well wear blue jeans which guys can do too you know you can get by doing that but you know, once you get them, they're less comfortable to hike in and dry out way slower and stuff like that. Um, the past couple of years, three years, I've been using the uh, Sitka Timberline pants, and they're pretty tough pants to beat for that kind of stuff. Um, I really, really like them. Unfortunately, you know, with their their political Patagonia stances now, um, I'm moving on from that. Um, it's not, not worth it to me, not working against um, our own interests is being in, in at least, you know, my opinions is an Alaska resident. And, uh, so I'm just going to not wear them anymore. Um, I do have a couple sets of the stone glacier de Havilland pants and I have yet to take them sheep hunting, but that's probably what I'm going to take next year. Um, they seem to fit me really well, really comfortable. And I think they'll be, I think they'll be great. Um, really nice pants. Now, next on down the line, um, shirts uh, i took a literally a cotton cut off t-shirt and a long sleeve like cotton camo shirt and uh yeah i mean that's you don't really need to say too much about that um what i what i've gone to the past couple years is just a uh, like a synthetic blend t-shirt not i mean maybe not totally totally synthetic but just a nice comfortable lightweight synthetic blend t-shirt that dries out quick um, and for a long sleeve, I've been taking, I really like, um, I have a Merino first light shirt that I really like. And, uh, I have a kind of a Merino synthetic blend, um, browning shirt that I really like to use too. I honestly, I can't remember which one, which one I took this year, but I kind of go back and forth on those. They're both, they're, they both work pretty well for me and they're, you know, act as kind of an insulating layer and they're pretty lightweight and, you know, they don't, they don't stink. It's not like super heavy Merino. It's just kind of a, a lightweight layer. Next down the line, I got, I, uh, and this is one of those things I bought that first summer was, uh, the Cabela's Outfitter Fleece, I believe, uh, top and bottom with the windbreaker lining. And that stuff was really warm. I actually still have, I think I have the pants too. They may have been a little tore up. The windbreaker lining kind of gets a little torn in the pants and whatnot. Um, and that stuff wasn't a bad choice to take at the time, but it was like their heavier fleece um, pants and, and the zip-up jacket, and that acted kind of as my heavy jacket. But the stuff is, it's just a little heavy, and it doesn't it doesn't pack down well. I mean, the, as far as insulating, being comfortable, um I, I mean, I still have that stuff and I still use it periodically, but it's just a little too heavy and not packable for, for, to be ideal for a sheep hunt. You know, there's plenty of other things that it works well for. Um, as I've kind of talked about, talked about over the years, I mean, probably 15 or 20 times by now, 
Um, I had gone from using that kind of stuff to use going to like a synthetic hoodie and a soft shell jacket and have sent yeah i tried that for a little while and kind of ditched that because i was either you know too hot or too cold and i kind of got lost there sorry um i yeah i'd just be too cold it just didn't do what i needed it to and then uh got turned on to the puffy stuff um so for like my heavier layers yeah i just take uh i've been taking the kafaru lost park pants and the lost parka um, and I just have zero complaints with that stuff, that stuff for the warrant, for the, for the, you know, how well it's made and the packability and how light it is. I don't think there's anything warmer and, and, you know, that's, I, until I, I mean, you know, it's going to maybe a while before I find something that's even as good or better. So that's kind of, I'm pretty, pretty happy with that right now. Um, Next down the list is was uh, Cabela's Rain Suede Rain Gear, or I can't remember if it was the Rain Suede or the Dry Plus, but it was like their packable high speed, you know, at least to me, from my perspective, what did I know? Um, I thought it was pretty cool shit. Um, it came in kind of that brown outfitter camo and um, packed down pretty well into its own pockets and stuff like that and i thought it was pretty slick i didn't end up even you know needing to really use it much on that first trip um i used it the next year the next year and the next year and i think i got rid of it after that third year because i really got in some weather there and the stuff just i mean yeah, like I said, any breathable rain gear. I mean, this stuff just soaked right through. Um, so I kind of, I don't know, I, I, I got by with it fine, and it was okay, especially for the price at the time. But hindsight, I probably wouldn't have used it. Um, I just lucked out that first couple, first couple years of sheep hunting and didn't really need to, you know, I, I never really had to put it through much rain. Um, so anyway... Um, nowadays, right now I'm using the Grunden's Neptune, Neptune rain gears is what I'm really liking. Um, I use the Heli Hansen quite a bit in Impertec, the uh, and really like that as well. But I do think I like the Grunden's a little better. I've had a chance to use it, use the same set for basically three years now. You know, I use it in the boat uh, and take it sheep hunting, goat hunting, whatever. And it seems to be a little tougher and more durable than the Impertec. After a couple of years, that Impertec will start, you know, getting microscopic breaks, I think, in that barrier as it gets stretched and stuff like that. And it doesn't seem like I'm having any of those issues at all with the Grundens. So, yeah, I really like that stuff. And, I mean, frankly, the Grundens Neptune, I weighed it at one point. I mean, it was like maybe half pound heavier than the than the Sitka Stormfront stuff. And it doesn't pack down quite as well. Um, but, you know, it's freaking rain gear is an imperfect world by far. So, so yeah, um, actually, I'm probably paying about the same for a set of rain gear now as I did for that Cabela stuff back in the day. And finally, I think I, the last thing I could remember, I think I had a boonie, like a cotton, like army boonie hat and, um, a knit cotton beanie hat. So, I mean, I look like a total freaking nerd camo Carl up there, but, uh, it managed to get me by. And of course, yeah, now don't, I do not bring a cotton 
cotton stuff, you know, beanie hats, especially, you know, it's kind of a, a, another important piece of gear. So just a D de- any decent synthetic beanie, meaning you're being in good shape. Now for, uh, moving on to, uh, camp gear and food, um, uh, back to Cabela's again, like I, I warned you about, um, my backpack was one of those, uh, the old Cabela's outfitter frame packs. They were at the time, it was like the new high speed one, you know, and it had a water bladder, water, it came with a water bladder and a water bladder pouch and a padded spotting scope pouch. And it was the biggest one they had. I mean, I was pretty, and granted, there's a lot, we got a lot more options for great backpacks nowadays out there, but I mean, I was pretty you know, Barney's was around, but I didn't know none of that. I was pretty ignorant to the whole game. I mean, you get your hunting gear from Cabela's and that's how it was growing up. So, so that's what I got. And, uh, overall, I mean, I, you know, it's not nearly as comfortable as a Kafaru or Stone Glacier or any of those, any of the packs we got, we have today, but, uh, I mean, it worked for me. I mean, I think it was, it was maybe a couple hundred bucks back in the day um i still i still have and use that frame pack for something like i usually keep it in the boat and use it for just packing bear hides back to the boat because i don't want to i mean for a short pack i don't want to get all sort of nasty bear grease and bullshit all over my all over my nice backpack so i'll usually keep that in the boat and i do have the bag somewhere i finally retired it from sheep hunting i used the pack from 2004 through 2010 and yeah five i killed five yeah i packed out i think five rams with that and this was finally i had to get part of the uh the kind of it's not really padding but it's some netting that stretched around the frame in the back you know to keep it off your back that was tearing out so i took it to like a sewing shop in town and got that fixed at one point but overall i mean it's beat to hell but it's it's you know, been still a good pack frame. It's certainly, it's, you can certainly get the job done with it. You don't always have to buy the nicest stuff. Um, and that's one thing when it comes to sheep hunting gear, you know, people ask you what's the most important one, two, three, four pieces of gear. And it, it's, it gets really tough, you know, cause you can say, you know, it's, it's your spotting scope or it's your boots, but really, man, it's pretty damn nice to have a great pack or, this or that, you know, it, it, everything kind of works together to get the whole, to get the whole job done. And, and, you know, you can just gradually improve different pieces of gear, but, you know, you can certainly get by, you, you know, you don't have to feel like you've got to shell out tons and tons of money to get gear that will get you by. And that's kind of why, you know, why I'm going through all this. Cause it, it definitely, definitely got the job done for me or allowed me to, I didn't really know what I was missing, but, uh, so yeah, that uh, Cabela's Outfitter frame pack um, is what I bought and used in 2004 on my first sheep hunt, and um, used it for several years after that. Didn't have, ever have any major problems with it. Um, the last the last three years, I've used the Kafaru um, Muskeg on a duplex light frame. Um, the Muskeg 7000, and I put a couple, uh, like a large and a medium pouch on the back and use the, the organizer guide lid on top and that X-Pack material. And man, it really does good for water, for waterproofness. Um, I do like that. That was my main, 
attraction in that pack. Yeah, it is it is a little bit lighter than some of the whole Cordura ones, but I freaking hate I I just don't carry rainflies. It's one thing that, that that Cabela's outfitter pack had like an integral I mean it was pretty pretty skookum in the day for the day, you know, it had a integral rainfly in the top pouch that you just in the lid basically that you just unzip the zipper and pull the rainfly over the backpack. Um and the frame itself has like a stowaway cargo cargo strapping system that's kind of got blaze orange or hat. It's all bleached out from the sun nowadays. But uh, yeah, packed out a lot of sheep with that backpack. But uh, yep. So this uh, the the Muskeg seven thousand and duplex light from Kafar is what I've been using the past three years. I did break because and it was one of the early duplex lights, so it had like the carbon arrow cross piece between the shoulder blades and i broke that this year but i think it's because i rolled it over rolled the backpack over on a rock loaded with meat or some shit like that um you know you're never going to have any issues breaking breaking it and nowadays they come with an aluminum piece in there that's indestructible so um that issue's gone before that i use i really like the uh i'd been using the emr too that's one of my favorite backpacks too um and I think I have that one on a hunter frame, duplex frame now, and that's great. I mean, all those things are hard to go wrong with. Um, I did have a water bladder in that that original uh, Cabela's Outfitter backpack. Um, I think I mentioned that, but um, that's pretty much the only time I've ever used a water bladder. I used it for one hunt, didn't like it, and I just have never made the effort to even use one since. Um it, I don't know. It just seemed like a pain to me to pull it out, fill it up, you know. With uh, and uh, as I say this, I'm realizing how foolish it sounds. It's not that big a deal to just yank some stuff out of your backpack and jam the water bladder back in there. At the time, I guess it was like, man, like all this wasted space in my backpack is what it felt like. And just ever since then, I've not been big on water bladders. I'll uh, carry a, a water bottle in a in a water bottle or a bottle, Nalgene pouch or whatever on my hip. Um, but that's pretty much all I do now. Uh, uh, I brought two Nalgene's with me and part of, and, and part of this, I got by, um, when you're hunting in areas where you're hunting from the bottom up or areas with a lot of water, you know, two water bottles is totally fine. That's all you need. Um, typically, but over the years, I've just had to hunt in so many spots and, you know, you end up cl- making a climb and hunting ridge lines and stuff like that. Um, and it just really, uh, over the years, has paid to carry a bunch of a bunch of those platypus um, collapsible plastic water bladders. I've never had any issues with any of them leaking in my backpack. But when I really need to, you know, when it may be a day or two before... I'm back at a good water source. It's nice to be able to stack up, you know, 10 liters of water or a couple days worth of water in your camp. Um, and I also, yeah, sometimes I will, but the past couple of years, I haven't been bringing any Nalgene's. I literally just go buy, um, like Powerades from the gas station and just use Powerade bottles. Um, Nalgene's certainly are nice or nicer bottles. And if you're like, drinking long term i think that plastic is not i think the plastic in some of these disposable bottles can be less than healthy for you if you're just constantly drinking out of the same bottle and reusing it but that shit's not going to make any difference whatsoever on on a hunt um i've never broken one i've never smashed one uh never busted a lid um 
you know, just those Gatorade or Powerade bottles. I did, was using smart water, water bottles a little bit. Um, and those work good too. They are a little more fragile. I think, uh, I think Steve Hollenbeck on a hunt kind of crushed one a little bit and got a pinhole in it that he had to tape up or something, but overall didn't have too many issues. And depending on how you got your backpack set up, um, those smart water bottle, smart, smart water bottles, um, those smart water bottles are longer and skinnier and can sometimes be easier to, easier to pack. Um, I just pack, I'll usually take three Gatorade or Powerade bottles. I'll pack two of them will fit in a large, in my large pouch on the back of my backpack. And I'll put the third one in my belt pouch. That's for analogy they stay in there just fine too. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you want to bring, if, if I was going to bring Nalgene's, I'd, I'd bring one Nalgene and those other two bottles, you know, so if it gets real cold and you need to, you know, do the boiling water in the, in the Nalgene in the bottom of your sleeping bag trick or whatever, um, I would definitely be a little, a little sketch to do that with a Powerade bottle, but yeah, so that's, that's all I've been using. I mean, I just don't see the need for the extra expense and extra weight, so yeah. I don't remember the sleeping bag I took back then. Um, I don't know if it was a borrowed one. I'm pretty sure it was synthetic, though. I don't think it was a down bag. I don't think I've ever used a down bag on a sheep hunt. Um, but the... Well, I take that back. I did. I did. I tried one last year on the first trip or a treated down quilt. But uh, the bag, I've been using a, a Kafaru Slick bag for quite a few years now. And I had one of the old ones that were not quite as accurate on the temperature rating. And there, it did fine for me until it was like 2013 had just a freaking balls cold sheep hunt the whole time. I would, I'd wake up in the middle of the night shivering, you know, about every two hours and then fall back asleep and wake up shivering again. But I mean, it was getting down to like 10 or 15 degrees at night. And that was supposedly a 20 degree bag, which was more like a 30 degree bag. So, um, that sucked. But the new, ever since I got, they kind of revamped those slick bags. It was right about that time frame. It may have been 2014 that I got one of the new ones. And have been super, super happy with that. I mean, freaking been in, even with a 20 degree bag, you know, I've slept in, in the snow and stuff like that and been just fine. Um, so that, I just don't have too much reason to change from that. Last year on the first trip, I did experiment with a, a Zen Bivy, um, uh, treated down quilt, like kind of sleep system. They have a pretty, uh, and their, their pads pretty, pretty cool. Um, the sleeping pad has, um, has fibrous, um, synthetic insulation in the pad and you can feel that as it, when it's, when it's deflated, you can feel that and look in there and see that stuff. And as you inflate it, it just adds more insulation to the air pad itself. Um, and that bag does have like a, uh, inflator bag, like for rafts where you open up the bag, close it and push all the air into the, into the sleeping pad, as opposed to my, my Neo air my Neo Air Thermarest one where you got to just blow it up at the end of every day. But that's the one I took this year. Um, the pad I was happy with, the the quilt I was actually really happy with if you're considering pretty ideal or pretty good conditions or dry conditions, I should say. Um, I was pretty surprised at how well it kept me warm despite, you know, basically 
just sleeping on top of the pad and no no additional insul- insulation beneath me like being in a sleeping bag although the principle of that is you know your your insulation is getting compressed anyway so it's not as effective so um yeah and the way the way that zimbivy system works is it you it has a sheet kind of that you you snap over the the mattress and then there's little grommets and plastic clips that you clip that quilt into and it kind of folds under to keep from letting air get in the sides or under your and it kind of cradles your feet and whatnot and for a stomach sleeper like me it was it's probably the most comfortable way to sleep um sheep hunting that I've found and the only way I could really like sleep on my stomach comfortably I I just struggle with that in a regular bag um but you know tent blows up and I it didn't get wet on me but um it just scared me enough that uh, I'll just there's just no reason for me to risk it and after this year you know getting back to the tent you know or you've just been sweating your ass off and getting just dumped rain on and you know you're about like a wet dog you just crawl in your synthetic slick bag and swim in there for a while and sweat it out and you're dry in the morning so anyway um tent i don't i don't remember the make a tent it was one of my uncles that was the tent was pretty freaking probably older than i was and it was old it was a three season tent is all i can really remember about it and my cousin clint and i um shared that thing and man you no know, hindsight with what i've got now i don't know how the hell we made that work that was a pain in the ass but uh it got us by but i, I probably wouldn't take that one again um i i did get a new and i think i've mentioned on the podcast i did get a new msr hubba hubba the two-man this year and uh they've pretty much you know the weak spots and where that tent failed me and broke apart um pretty much all the weak spots of that tent have been addressed within reason um, as far as being able to guide out, you know, guy line points to, to hold it up against the wind and the way that the, the poles join together, um, that segment's changed. So it can't flip inside kind of inside out if that makes any sense. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm really happy with the, the new, the new design of that. And, uh, let's see next down the list. I just took a, like a cheap ass foam sleeping pad and, I mean, even like tried to layer some of my clothes underneath it. It was pretty, it was a good thing I was only 18 years old because holy shit, I wouldn't be able to hunt if I slept like that right now. But, uh, um, yeah. And I just, yeah, literally just went over sleeping pads or what I've been using. So yeah, either, you know, either I, I will skip on it for sleeping stuff. I probably will skip on taking the, the quilt sheep hunting anymore but uh, a slick bag in either my uh, either my thermarest um neo air or that i've used for a few years or that zimbivy sleeping pad it's pad it's little you probably might get leaks a little easier in the zimbivy one but if you're just careful and have a have a leak patch kit like you should anyway you should be good so uh next down the list stove um i was using a Camping Gaz, G-A-Z was the brand, um, just a simple compressed gas stove that I bought, um, or my dad got me for me for Christmas, I think it was actually, yeah, and uh, it was one, and I wish, I I haven't seen, because Century Hardware actually is where he bought it, and that's the only place you could find that brand of fuel, and the, uh, the way that stove attached wasn't, 
it was different than the threads like on a jet boil because you can interchange, you know, like a Primus or jet boil or MSR, you know, stove and fuel cans. Like they, they may not be super ideal, but they work. They're interchangeable. The way this one attached to the cans, it was kind of proprietary. And it was always a great, a good stove, you know, it didn't weigh anything. It was just the stove that you clicked onto the onto the the fuel canister and I, I still have a lantern i still have that stove somewhere and then i still have a lantern that of that brand that i really wish i could get the gas cans for but i haven't seen them in in quite a few years and lately i mean i've been using just a jet boil sole i think for a while i kind of after after hearing some of their you know their stance on hunters i kind of am looking to get rid i need to get rid of that thing and just get a just get an MSR reactor and be done with it. Um, but that's what I have been using and it's been working fine for quite a few years. Um, on that first trip, I did bring like a separate, like water pot and cooking pan. Um, which if you're, you know, if you don't, I didn't have a self-contained stove, you're going to need some kind of little pot to, to boil your water in. Um, but nowadays I don't even, you know, with a jet boiler, if I get an MSR system or whatever, like there's, I just don't have any need to bring a, a pot or pan, you know, cause you're, you're just pretty much switched totally over to, to freeze dried stuff. Or even if you're making ramen or some shit like that, you know, you just don't, don't need extra, extra cooking gear. Um, down the list, I was used, I think it was a Coglins, which is like the cheap-ass camping, camping aisle of every store. Um, they got, got all sorts of camping doodads and stuff like that. But I, I think it was a Coglin, like, cheap-ass pump filter for water. And, I mean, I just... I hate pumping water and, and, you know, if you're in, when you're in silty stuff, it starts clogging up. And I mean, we're probably not talking about the, the height of water filtration technology with that thing, but, um, that's what I used. And nowadays compared to nowadays, I'll just, I just use Aquamira drops. It's all I use. I don't even bother with, I don't even own, I might own, I think I own a couple bottles, um, like survivor filter bottles that you can pour any water in and you, you know, you're, actually drinking it is pulling it through the filter and that's how you're getting it filtered but for actual water filters for for handling water in the field i I don't even bother i just take uh i just take aquamira drops they're so like they're inexpensive they're so light they have a little bit of a taste to them and you know you may not want to be drinking them super super long term but Overall, I don't, I mean, I don't have any issue with them, um, and I don't have to deal with any pumps or gravity filters or any of that, any of that nonsense. Um, if I need to treat water, I just treat it. Um, down the list there, I do remember having some cheap stormproof matches. Those were probably Coglins too. Not the highest quality, and, you know, if you let them get damp, then they break real easy. Um, I do, I am a big fan of always having like multiple fire starting materials and and gizmos and stuff stashed in different places you know in your in your gear so you know if something happens you're always going to have something to maybe start a fire with and of course that's assuming that you got something to burn because up in sheep country a lot of times where we're at you just don't there's you know you can start all the fires you want but if you don't have anything to burn <laughs> you're kind of shit out of luck um, and actually one time, 
it was when I was hunting with with Steve Hollenbeck and Tim Sterner, and we'd killed three rams within about 30 seconds of each other. But, like, I was a mile or so up this valley from them. I was just getting ready to shoot and heard them shoot. And got, anyway, I got mine all packed up and back down to the bottom of the hill they were on waiting for them, you know, basically all night long. That was that cold-ass trip that I was referring to earlier and I couldn't find I couldn't find a single little dead alder stick to burn. I I tried to start a fire, I couldn't do it, so I had to just kind of pay put on all my clothes and pace back and forth, and it's snowing all night till they came down the hill about four o'clock in the morning, and then or three whatever time it was, and we I just uh, that sucked. I remember hiking back. It was about four or five miles back to the tent, and had to you know sitting on a falling asleep, sitting in the snow, you know, in a blizzard on a cut bank and. Just all of a sudden you realize you're dreaming and then, you know, wake up and back to it. But anyway, I, I digressed, but, uh, uh, I did have those, you know, stormproof matches. I do, I do think I do, I do carry some, like a small pack of like a little bit higher quality ones that are in a little plastic deal. Um, you know, some kind of like some kind of striker, you know, sparking striker is good idea. Um, I really like those, uh, what the heck are they called? Um, there's a million different little fire tabs and waterproof fire starter things. Trioxane's a good one. It's always good to have some stuff like that to where if you get in a jam and and you are in a spot where you do have stuff you can burn that you can get a you can get a fire going immediately or you know you go you fall in when you're trying to cross a river or something and got to get warmed up in a hurry. Um, I did bring a lighter too, and I still I still do. Um, I don't end up using it typically for a lot of stuff, but I do bring a lighter. Um, I had a, also had a moleskin blister kit and there were, it's similar. I think, I think it was before the adventure medical kit ones. Um, and those are pretty good blister kits with like the second skin stuff. Um, shit, that first trip I got, got a blit. I did, was having to tape up like, a mile in it was pretty pathetic and i had been i was in really good shape and had been hiking and stuff i don't know what the deal was but walking on tundra i guess but i had a moleskin blister kit i typically i don't think i take any of that stuff now i just take um luco tape um i'll tape up my feet like everybody you know like a lot of people are doing nowadays you know tape up your feet before you even get started and typically that tape stays on the whole entire time. But I, since, you know, getting turned on to that stuff, I think by, by Aaron Snyder, um, I haven't had a need to take any moleskin or any of that shit. This stuff always fell off anyway. So yeah, Luco tape's the way to go. I mean, you get a hot spot stop, throw some tape on it and you're in good shape. And I mean, I use that stuff, you know, like I usually take some duct tape too, but I ran out of that trying to repair my boot. Um, and I did use like rubber cement and luco tape to repair my boot, and that held for actually like over a day of packing meat out. But uh, I also fixed because when I where I where I broke that when I was referring earlier to on that on that duplex light frame where I broke that arrow cross piece that um, they don't use anymore. I ended up getting back to the tent, cutting that little sleeve open, pulling it out, and and. Tape and a, I have a, I always carry a couple tent pole repair, repair um, splints. I guess you'd call them. 
So tape that on there, put it back in there, and just wrap the sucker with Luco tape so it couldn't come out or move. And it was it's freaking good as new. So yeah, um, Luco tape's definitely something you're gonna want want in your kit. Um, I didn't have any GPS or communications back then. I mean, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but you sat and weren't very many people had sat phones and even like there weren't a lot of good GPS options. Even most of the GPSs were even the, the better ones that I can remember or seeing around that time frame. Um, they didn't have the maps on them or nothing. It was just like, you know, you can lay a track and it's just a line on a gray screen. Um, so it was a while before I got any kind of, I mean, <laughs> shoot, it's probably even, I think 2010, I bought one of those E-Trexes and that thing was useless. Um, I, my dad had one that I used in 2006 and basically, that didn't have a map either. You know, if you had a waypoint you were going to, you basically just had to, like, position the thing to where the sun icon was in the right spot and head towards your, your waypoint and hope you were going in the right direction. But, yeah, things have come so far. Since then, I went, you know, I'd got a, a sat phone and used that for a few years. And uh, since the in the Garmin inReaches came out, um, that's pretty much all I've used and unfortunately, like I know this fall, we talked about during moose season, they had a big like issue with AT&T numbers or it's AT&T was causing the issue or some shit. But either way, um, <clears throat> that's kind of unacceptable. But um, that's still what what my go-to is. You know, there's there's a Spot X, I think, has one that you can actually has. It's like looks like one of old Blackberries with the little keyboard on it that you can type out all that stuff. And, uh, I did have, I did have one of those to test for a while and it, it did work pretty good. It seemed like it took, a, it was slower sending messages and stuff like that than the inReach was, but it still did, it still did work. And there's a new one out that I can't remember what the name of that uh, I've seen people talking about. I don't know how good or not good it is though, or what satellite network it uses. All right. Into real exciting stuff. Uh, dish. So I took a thing of dish soap cause doing You'll find out doing dishes was something I had to do. That shit's for the birds too. Um, nowadays, I'll just take a little. You know, I'll have a little pa- little thing of hand sanitizer in my med bag or in my or my little uh, pull out pouch that has my med kit and that kind of related shit in there. You know, stuff like body glide or and all that stuff goes in the med kit. And then I think I have another hand sanitizer that I keep in my possible little possibles pouch which I didn't recall even having, bringing anything like that. I mean, I had most of the stuff I needed, but it is nice to have a little, you know, a little consolidated pouch with extra stuff. Like, it wasn't that trip, but the next year I broke my backpack, my belt buckle, packing out a whole caribou, and uh, just pure stupidity. I was in good shape and short for brains. But, uh, I mean, I had that pack sucked down so tight and then broke my pack buckle and luckily it was only like half a mile to to where to the road so um i suffered through it but after that i always carry even with the the, i've never broke one of the kafaru buckles but um i always carry extra pack buckle in there um just little odds and ends that you need whether it's to work on your rifle you know a few little allen wrenches or whatever if you think your scope's getting loose or um yeah anything 
you might need. Um, for food, I uh, pretty much had oatmeal in the mornings, which that's one of the very few things that I still bring. Um, primarily for my breakfast in the mornings, it's oatmeal. And actually, I used to, before I started sheep hunting, I used to love oatmeal, like instant oatmeal. I'd have oatmeal all the time. And since I started sheep hunting, I just don't, and if I'm not out sheep hunting, I rarely ever eat oatmeal. But uh, that's kind of my go-to breakfast. Um, I'll usually bring a couple of the, the um, man, I'm losing my mind. Um, I'll usually, uh, Mountain House. I'll usually, usually bring a couple of the Mountain House biscuits and gravy because that shit's good. Um, that's like one of the best, yeah, one of their best meals, I, I think, and definitely the best breakfast. I don't care for the, the freeze-dried egg stuff. Um but yeah, so oatmeal primarily and, uh, and so, I mean, I've tried stuff like I've dumped like some chia seeds or some protein powder sometimes in oatmeal if you're just looking for ways to get extra calories, but, uh, yeah, oatmeal at the base and then at the base and then, you know, a couple of the, the biscuits and gravy, the B and G for, for dessert, um, special occasion breakfast, um, uh, for lunch back on that first trip so long ago, I, uh, pretty much just brought bagels and peanut butter and jelly and squeeze tubes because that's what my uncle told me you do you did for lunch when you're sheep hunting is you know have bagels peanut butter and jelly and the bay and because the bagels hold up well in your backpack typically they're not near as susceptible to getting smashed as other bread um nowadays i pretty much uh i take a lot of bars whether it's like those pro bars um I did bring a bunch of perfect bars this year, those peanut butter ones and almond almond butter ones. Those are freaking good. Um, and uh, I tried some of them like F-bomb, like little fat packets on uh, nut butter, <laughs> little fat packets. Um, <laughs> it's not the only kind of nut butter on a sheep hunt, but the, uh, the, the like F-bomb nut butter macadamias or whatever, just like to have my pocket when I'm hiking if I need a little need a little energy boost. Um, I do like, I don't typically eat like lunch, lunch, sheep hunt, and I'll have, you know, two or three bars to distribute, to eat throughout the day and just kind of constantly munch on. Um, I usually will bring a few tortillas and sometimes some of the, like a couple, a few of the little, um, packaged either chicken or tuna, tuna packets and, and, some string cheese or baby bells or something like that, that you have a little bit normalish food for, for one of your daytime meals. But primarily it just like, I try to keep it broke up as, you know, where every couple, three hours I have something I can snack on and just keep going throughout the day rather than just like a peanut butter and jelly bagel for lunch. Um, yeah, uh, I don't, I, I do not carry any bagels anymore or peanut butter and jelly and squeeze tubes. Um, now for dinners, um, I, I, I went, just went and bought a bunch of like box pasta dinners and man, they smelled freaking good cooking them. They're in the tent or next to the tent, but, oh, it was a pain in the ass and they never, they never taste as good as you think they will. And you have to cook them. You have to like actually cook the pasta and mix the shit in there. It's just, just a whole bunch of nonsense that you don't need on a sheep hunt, which is why I had to bring in an extra pan and soap to like do the dishes and oh, phone's ringing. Ignore that. 
um, soap to do the dishes and just, it just adds a whole level of complexity that's completely unnecessary. So I don't do that stuff. I'm pretty much all, all freeze dried stuff. Um, I think I did bring a few little treats like in every, every once in a while, it'll be, you know, every year I'll, I'll, if something catches my eye, might be a cool treat, you know, a, a nice treat to bring. Uh, like this year I brought a little like uh Ziploc baggie of uh, sun-dried tomatoes, you know, I mix in with like a pasta dinner or mix in with my, my uh, tortilla roll or whatever for lunch. Um, but yeah, pretty much for the most part, it's, you know, it's oatmeal, you know, energy, granola, whatever type bars uh, for during the daytime and then freeze-dried for, freeze-dried for dinner. Um Mountain House has has some pretty good meals. You know, I really like the. Uh, uh, I mean, lasagna is a classic. Um, the probably my favorites, the chicken breast and potatoes. Um, that's a good meal. But you just kind of got to try different stuff and see what you like. That backcountry pan backcountry pantry, I think, has has some good ones. I don't know if Alpine Air is still in business because their shit was terrible. Um, it's, uh, and I did try this, this year is the first time I tried a couple of those peak refuel ones and those were freaking really good. Um, so I'm definitely going to be getting some more of those in the future. Um, you know, like the Heather's choice, it's, I mean, and just not my taste buds. Um, the packaroons are freaking fantastic, but I just, uh, and I, I don't, I mean, in any dehydrated meal, it's going to take l- as opposed to freeze dried, it's going to take longer to dehydrate or to rehydrate than than a freeze dried. Um, so, considering the time, and I just don't, it's just not not my taste. So, not to knock it at all. If you like them, that's freaking awesome because um, it's an Alaska Alaska based company, and and if you like them, man, by all means, buy their buy your stuff and support them. Um, but I just got to shoot it straight. So. Uh, um, snacks, I brought some, a bunch of Snickers bars or something like that. And I'll br- usually bring a few like little, like variety candies or some shit like that. Um, I brought hot cocoa the first time. I don't do that anymore. Really. I just bring coffee. Um, I brought instant coffee. I think the like granular, the granular stuff nowadays, um, you know, you can get whether you want to spend your money at Starbucks and get those like Starbucks singles or black rifle has pretty good singles. There's a lot of good, like really good instant coffee options out there that are far and above what you, you know, the old like Folgers stuff that used to, used to get, or, and I think actually I started with the uh, little, little packets or like little tea bags that you'd put in there. Yeah. None of that nonsense anymore. So yeah, I'll just bring, uh, just bring the little instant coffee singles and a few extra and have one of them and breakfast in the morning. Now, um, through that to hunting gear, the stuff I could remember of stuff I could remember of, I'm really freaking struggling, but, uh, I, the, my rifle was actually the first is the first rifle I saved up and bought myself when I was 15. Um, and I mean, it was definitely back in the, I mean, still not in the rich days, but it was, this was back in the poor days, um, saved up and bought, it was a Remington model 710 30-06. Um, and I, it was the year they came out and I remember all the hunting magazines, seeing the ads, seeing the ads for it coming. Cause I mean, man, I just, just didn't have like dropping, dropping five or $600 for at the time, 
the two rifles I was looking at in town at the time down in Southern Colorado were a, uh, were a Ruger, a Ruger M77, uh, 25-06. Then they had this Remington 710-30-06. Hindsight, I should have just saved up another freaking couple of weeks and bought the, bought the Ruger. Or I can't remember if you had to order it or whatever it was. But uh, for some reason, yeah, I just got impatient. As that definitely would have been a better rifle. But hindsight's twenty twenty, and I bought this uh, Remington Model 710, which was, it was there, it was kind of, at least in my lifetime is when I first started seeing like the economy rifle really show up, like the cheaper package rifle that wasn't, you know, cause you had your Remington 700s and like a lot of the, all these rifles at the time were eh, probably in like five, like $600 range. Um, and we're talking like in right around the year 2000 or so, um, 2000, 2001, um, but the 710, it was had its thing, and like the most unique thing, it was like a mag, you know, box magazine fed, and the receiver instead of being like a solid steel receiver, just the design, and it's part of what made it cheaper is the way they made the recoil lug. The receiver is lined. I think later they changed it because of the problems, but I got one of the first first generation of them had a like a nylon sleeve in the receiver, which is all fine and good, you know. And I thought it mattered at the time, you know, like, oh, not, it's not sloppy, you know, it's, it feels tight, you know, but when it got cold, that shit would just like hunting coyotes. I mean, that shit would just like yanking it back. And yes, I, uh, I ordered it, I saved up and ordered like a bulk bag of, uh, of 30 caliber, like accelerator sabots and hand loaded 30 out six accelerators. Sorry, I'd step out for a second. Uh, yeah, but uh, I'd literally hand load 30-06 accelerators with a Lee loader and shot coyotes with them. I don't know how I ever hit anything with those stupid things, but but anyway, that's the the coyote hunting story with that rifle. Anyway, uh, after I, so we moved up to Alaska, brought that rifle, and when I bought it, it came as a package with like some Bushnell scope on it, and I bought a uh, loophole. I think it was like the, it was called the Rifleman, but it was basically a VX1, uh, just generic three to nine by 40. And I still have that scope. Actually, I think it's on my 22 mag right now. Um, since this, uh, I haven't even shot that, that Remington in forever. It's what, it's a rifle. I mean, I hate it's like on one hand, it's, it's a total piece of shit, but the thing always shot really well. And it had a good trigger, you know, I mean, it's ugly and I gave it a couple of just, just horrific paint jobs to even make it worse and, uh, have severely neglected that rifle over the years, but I killed a lot of stuff with it. I killed, you know, like my first and biggest moose, um, first black bear, the biggest black bear I'll probably ever kill, killed my first sheep, caribou, um, this rifle's killed quite a bit of stuff. So as much as I like to knock it and it's heavy. Um, it's, you know, there's still, it's still, a, a, I have a hard time saying it's a decent rifle cause it's not, but <laughs> it just kind of is what it is. And it does carry some sentimental value to me. Um, you know, the thing's probably not worth a hundred dollars, but I wouldn't sell it. So anyway, um, this last year we used the, uh, both me and, and Frank used, uh, that new Weatherby backcountry TI, um, in the six five weather BRPM and freaking knock the shit out of sheep 
and super light, just a really, really nice rifle, especially for, you know, you can get some custom options with them, but for a factory, basically factory rifle, um, that's pretty slick, man. I, I'm not going to say it's hard to beat because, you know, a lot of that's, um, you know, personal preference, but it's a nice freaking rifle and I would take it cheap hunting any day. Um, that custom Remington 700 and 27 O'Connor that Steve built me is another just freaking awesome sheep hunting rifle. Um, and you know, before that, after I, what I, what I trans, what I ended up transitioning to after I, uh, I was up here a couple years as I bought a seven, a Remington 725-06 and, that's when I started using that and I used that for a lot of years. Um, and that's what kind of put the, what put the old 710 on the bench, but no, that was a good rifle. All things considered. Um, I, for glass and this oh, embarrassing, I took like a cheap, well, ones of my, I didn't have any binos myself. My uncle gave me a, like a cheap, small pair of like Bushnells or something that he's like, Oh, you just need to spot them, you know, with those and then use the spotting scope and, that is true, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be giving up good binos anytime soon. <laughs> um, nowadays I'm, and I've been using for a few years, I used some, uh, what were they? The, a couple of years ago I used the loophole, uh, was, did they have the BX4s or BX5s? I can't remember which ones they were, the, was the, the, BX4 Pro Guides, I think, HDs at the time I used. And they were, and, you know, especially for the price, man, they're not bad binos at all. Um, I'd use those any day of the week. Um, but I have been using my overall, you know, the past couple of years, been using my Swarovski EO ranges. And, uh, yeah, and those, especially when you're rifle hunting, um, bow hunting, you know, you pretty you can't just use those you got to you know you're going to need an actual range finder too um because they only range down to like 30 yards but uh i mean that's a hard especially for a rifle hunter it's a hard combo to beat um the spotting scope at the time was another my uncle lent lent me his and it was uh or lent us his it was uh, i mean i don't know how old an old old redfield spotting scope you know 20 to 60 power um and no tripod with it and uh so just resting it on the backpack and i mean it was you know i had to sit there from a couple hundred yards and not especially not being experienced cheap hunter uh really look my ram over and it's kind of a miracle i got him in hindsight thinking of some some of these things but uh yeah i used an old redfield spotting scope um and got the job done after that i upgraded to i saved it was a couple year maybe the next year or a couple years later i saved up and bought a uh it was like a vanguard or some off brand that was a little bit nicer spotting scope no no i skipped one after that i bought it was like a 150 dollar like trekker spotting scope from cabela's that i ordered the next year just you know as a 20 to 60 and waterproof so uh yeah, I got by with that for a year and uh, then upgraded again a couple of years later. And then when was it? It was, yeah, I used that like Vanguard one for a few years. And then I think it was like 2011, I got the one that I'm still using now, which is uh, Suaro uh, 20 to 60 STS and uh, great scope. Um, I know they've come out with some freaking awesome ones since, but um, 
I'm happy enough with this one that I'm not going to show. I'm probably not going to shell out for a great big one anytime soon. Um, that whole principle of using, yeah, using your binos to, to spot cheap and, uh, using your spotting scope to sort them out. I mean, that's definitely held true. Um, you don't always need the very, very best stuff, but you know, I would err to the higher quality spotting scope and maybe a little bit lower quality binos if, if you're in a pinch, um, you know, and another one to look at that I need to, and we, I mentioned it before and talked to Steve is he's been, he switched over to using Kawa spotting scopes. It's K-O-W-A. And I'd seen guys use them when it's shooting service rifle, pretty much all the experienced service rifle guys that I shot with. I mean, this is like, even, this is even like 10 years ago, all they, they all used Kawa spotting scopes. It was very popular, very popular target rifle shooting spotting scope, um, and I don't know why, like it didn't even occur to me to to use them sheep hunting. I don't know, but I think they're, you know, and Steve, Steve at least claims that, you know, he likes his every bit as good as the Swaro. I mean, that's what he's switched over to using. So, and he's got Swaro stuff too. So they're definitely worth a look. Um, and tripods, um, I've gone through, I started not even using a tripod, which, man, it's... <laughs> If you're not going to use a tripod, like there's stuff you can do. I mean, from the very minimalistic, and that's sometimes people's ideas. Just they're just going to go minimalistic, but uh, it just makes such a big difference having a tripod. Um, I if I you know probably the one I'm going to use next year. I didn't get it in time for sheep hunting this year, but was uh, that Spartan um, the Spartan Precision Sentinel tripod. And, uh, I mean, that's a slick tripod. It's pretty respectable on weight. It's not super light, but it's not very heavy either. And I have one of the, uh, the amount for the spotting scope. That's just basically the same socket that fits on their rifle mounts, um, with a clamp that you have it on your spot and scope. So you just pop it on that fitting and, and clamp it down. And it is a ball head. So you're going to have some movement more than like a nice smooth pan head or anything like that. But, you know, everything's a trade-off. Um, you know, the, the outdoorsman tripods, I've used those some, and they're fantastic too, but they're, you know, it's another, any of these really, really good tripods, you're going to pay a shitload of money for them. But, um, you know, if you look at it like an investment, and if you're going to be using them a lot, they are, they are worth it. Um, I've used a couple years, uh, one that I don't know who's making them for them, but the loophole markets, that's, uh, uh, you know, just a nice, like, carbon fiber tripod that's fairly it's stable enough and it's light enough to be worth taking and uh you know could use a little bit better pan head but i've gotten by using it um and if you want to go really minimalistic um red mountain gear and uh, i think they're out of palmer wasilla um they make basically these machined heads that you know you attach your spotting scope to it that you can use you know you can use trekking poles um, basically you insert the legs into this head and crank it down. I think I've talked about them before. Um, and I, you know, I have a couple sets of the aluminum legs and they have a couple different varieties of those that you can really like play with the height. They are a little time, there's a little bit of a learning curve with them and they're a little time consuming to set up and not as flexible as like a big tripod with telescoping legs and all that. But, you know, like I said, if you're wanting to go super minimal, minimalistic, and save weight, you gotta, you, it's a trade-off somehow, and they're, a, it's a super cool idea, and, and if I wanted to really cut a lot of weight, and, uh, that's probably, that's probably what I would go with, 
especially if I had a, uh, if I used it, an angled eyepiece, I think they'd be a little bit better for an angled eyepiece because the, the tripod's going to end up typically being lower to the ground than, you know, a bigger one that you can telescope up. Um, and going back to, you know, talking about tripods and that Spartan Precision stuff, um, and rifle stuff, I never used, I didn't take a bipod, I just rested on a rock or a backpack, um, and, you know, I won't beat this to death too bad, but, uh, yeah, then, you know, I started pretty quickly after a couple of years taking a Harris bipod and then always, since then, have always had a bipod and switched over to the, uh, you know, the Spartan, I got one of the Spartan Precision ones when they came out and they're expensive too, but man, for, oh, they cut so much weight. If you can afford it, um, I mean, if you can't afford it, just do what you can, take a Harris or something like that, but those Spartan Precision ones are nice. I really like them. Um, I've gotten to use one of the ultralight ones, and they're a little bit lighter even than the than the, the original standard ones, and I just got a hold of to evaluate um, one of their new, the new, uh, like, Pro Hunter, I think is the name of them. I'm embarrassed that I can't think of that, but um, the new Spartan Precision hunting bipods, I think it's like the Pro Hunter, um, and they're pretty slick too. It's very similar to the old ones, just a few changes they have a spring-loaded telescoping legs they're easy to manipulate with one hand instead of just carbon fiber legs and uh, they have a little um, toggle that when you when you deploy the bipod open it up it locks open and you have to push this little toggle to close it back up so that's basically the only differences but those telescoping legs um, the spring-loaded can be really nice you know when you're laying down on the side of the hill and need to just use one hand to to raise to raise or lower one of the bipod legs and get yourself level. Uh, they are a little heavier. I haven't weighed them, but not much heavier than just the original ones. So um, just a few other things. I remember taking a Gerber bone saw. Um, I don't even buy, I haven't even bothered with that in the years. Uh, in years, you know, we did a lot. We hauled a lot, a lot more bones than we needed to at that time. We were pretty green. Um, but the past couple times that I've actually packed a bone saw in, the only thing I ever used it for was skull capping a sheep. And I just cape them and skull cap them right on the spot. And it does save you a little bit of weight coming out. But I mean, you have to also, then you're carrying extra weight going in and you got a saw that has just a single purpose for the entire trip. So the past few years, I just take a, take my knife and, you know, cape, cape the skull, cut the jawbone off, clean as much meat and pop the eyeballs out and stuff like that. And that that seems to work fine for me. I don't I don't bother carrying a saw sheep hunting anymore. Um I can't remember what kind of knife I used, but it probably sucked and I didn't know how to sharpen knives as well as I did. So we were we were fighting stuff. Um nowadays I'll uh I'll usually carry a a couple. Part of it's cuz I, you know, I I know what works but i also want to try something else i have a couple of those benchmade altitude knives they're like s90 v steel very lightweight very sharp and they hold their edge really well um um they for if you like fixed blade knives and for doing you know a lot of the basic skinning deboning you know cutting up an animal type of deal they're they're nice to have um i i have the 
Well, a custom knife I brought this year. It's made by Evan Simbita, I think. Sorry if I butcher your name, man. <laughs> but uh, Simbita, again, sorry if I butcher that. Custom knives, um, it's a real, it's a metal arc is, is the the model, and it's a really nice, small, fixed-blade knife. It makes his handles really well. The stuff doesn't slip contoured to the hand really well for, like, handling when you're skinning and even doing, like, real fine, fine stuff. Um, it's just a really, as far as a fixed-blade knife, um, a really cool, nice little knife and a good one to have and doesn't weigh very much. Um, and then finally, you know, a Havilon, like, if you can just bring one, that's, I don't, I don't know. Depends on your school of thought, but you could do just about anything with a ha- with a Havilon. You got to be a little careful of breaking blades, but a lot of that stuff is is just finesse stuff. And um, the the one advantage that the thing I really like Havilons for is skinning around sheep horns. Um, it's really tight, and it's really nice to get that super thin, flexible blade all the way up under the horn, so you're not leaving. You know, what if you leave any hair around the horns, you're basically leaving, you know, a quarter inch of skin under the horns, you know, because it, it does go up under there. So just those those thin razor blades, or even if you just use a scalpel and scalpel blades or a Taito or, you know, whatever you want to use to, those are super handy for caping around horns. And I end up, by that time, I have it out. So I end up using it to skin the rest of the head. But, uh, yeah, when you're caping stuff, you know, around horns and antlers, around eyes and tear ducts are like some of the biggest faux pas spots, you know, and as the hair gets shorter, the, the mistakes get easier, easier to see and harder to fix. So, um, yeah, that's I'll I'll usually bring one fixed, the past few years, I'll bring a fixed blade and a Havilon and I pretty much use, just use the Havilon for like the really fine duty tasks just because it, it's just a little bit frankly easier easier with those those prepackaged blades um and last thing i have on here i think i brought old cheesecloth game bags or maybe even like more of the canvas style i honestly can't remember it's been so long but game bags are another thing that's come a long way since then and and there's a lot of good synthetic bags on the market um but i try to most of my bags are the are the tag bags and for sheep um i'll bring three or four bags. You can get by with three if you want to wrap the head in just a garbage bag or something. But, you know, I'll usually bring, put half a sheep, the meat from half a sheep, because we, you know, when I'm hunting with Frank, we'll do half at a time, you know, do the top half, get all the meat off, flip it over, skin it, do the that half. So, you know, we'll basically put half a sheep in one bag and half sheep in the other bag for meat, and then the cape in the third bag. And that seems to work really well. Those tag bags, they do a great job of keeping keeping bugs off and dirt out. I mean, like those cheesecloth bags, you can still get, if you're not careful, you still get dirt in there and flies can get in there. Um, there's just, I mean, they are expensive, but man, in the long run, they're so worth it. You know, you can just I wash them over and over again and just continually reuse them. So that's the way I go. Anyway, um Hopefully you're not bored to death, but that's pretty much all I have for the the gear I took, the gear, food, and stuff that I took back on my very first sheep hunt in 2004 and compared to what I take nowadays. So, I mean, it's a big difference. It's been a big learning curve, and, you know, you can look at it a couple, diff- a couple different ways if you want, um, you know, 
basically how stupid I was and and how to how to just skip a lot of bullshit and buy buy better gear the first place even if you got to save up a little longer um you can learn from my mistakes um but also look you can look at it like you know if you if if you're on a tight budget or whatever you don't always need to get the very highest speed freaking gear to make it work you know you may have to carry a little bit extra weight maybe be a little less comfortable but um you know, you don't need to overthink a lot of this stuff. So anyway, appreciate you listening. And, uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at podcast at tundertalkak.com. And, uh, really appreciate it. If you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on and, uh, tune in next time. Thanks.